Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am talking with Ilan, founder of eGuard Watches. Ilan, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you. I love interviewing OGs of the crowdfunding world. Um, you have an upcoming campaign, which will be your fourth for a new watch piece. So I'm really excited to hear about kind of the, the journey you've been on since founding the company back in 2012. Where, where does it start and what inspired you to create eGuard Watches? Uh, so the entire foundation of the company is kind of a interesting story. Uh, I was... Uh, I was a wild kid growing up and uh, got in some trouble and stuff like that. And my dad was, was very uh, committed to never giving up on me. And so I got older and then I had some health issues. I, so I got through all that stuff and then I got older, I got some health issues. And again, my dad was there taking care of me and uh, on a dime, like he just, I was living in New York. He just flew to New York, stayed with me and was like, we're going to get through this. And so it got to a point where my dad was getting older. He was 65 at the time. And, um, I wanted to find a way to pay him back uh, for everything he had done for me. And I, uh, I was working in a company at the time doing previs, which is, uh, you know, they, we make movies, we do all that kind of stuff. And so I knew how to do design. And I started prevising a watch or uh, designing a watch in 3D and using the 3D printers. And I ended up making him a watch, giving it to him. And that's kind of the inception of Eggard watches. It's impressive. I mean, you know, to one, be in business and continue being in business and then creating your first watch. What what was the process like there? I mean, you know, from tinkering to building to manufacturing and sourcing, you know, how did you go about deciding the initial features to include in the first design? And what's changed, you know, fast forward now, eight years later in the industry? I mean, the industry is entirely different. Retail in general is entirely different. So I just believe that, uh, people are starting to buy more online and they're starting to buy direct from companies and um, the whole retail industry has shifted and you can actually build an entire company now selling direct to consumer and bypassing the, the kind of uh, middle section there of wholesalers. Uh, that's not to say there's no value in that part of the industry, but there is a massive shift, at least for watches away from, from retail. In, and there's positives and negatives to it. Nowadays, a lot of people are going away from branding, which I think is a big mistake and, and shifting entirely to value propositions. There's no kind of end game to that. Eventually, everyone's just going to be trying to make uh, you know a penny on a dollar and, and run themselves into the ground. So my philosophy has always been, no, I'm a brand. I have a message. I have a foundational kind of story behind this, and I'm doing it out of passion. And we put a lot of work into what we do. And uh so we try and be consistent and control the pricing and say, this is what it is. It's not going to be discounted 50% somewhere else just because we're trying to get rid of inventory. So we can maintain our value as a product. Um, yeah. 
So you talked a little bit about building a brand. I think it's important, you know, on the on the startup side of things to obviously focus on that as well as, you know, who, who the customer is and where can they find them. What were some of the, the key points that you focused in on very early on building the brand out and then, you know, launching your first crowdfunding campaign back in 2014? So two years into the build, the, the building of the company and the brand itself, what were some of those things that, that you that you did to help put yourself in such a good position to, you know, fund your campaign? Uh, there's a few things. I think that I, I have a philosophy. I always say, seek out the no. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you'll eventually get a yes. I'm like, well, if my goal every day is just to get a thousand no's and I'm just going to keep sending emails, you know, for whatever that is. it sounds negative, but it's actually a positive. I'm going to make myself consistent at sending out these emails because my goal is to get a thousand no's. And often I never even get to the thousand no's because someone says yes along the way. And then I go, oh, okay, I got a yes. And I'm happy with the yes. So I kind of shifted expectation on myself to be like, what will drive me to keep working harder every day? And that's okay. Well, if it's a thousand emails, I don't care if they're all no's. I'm expecting all no's. I'm expecting it every day. And I'm going to keep doing it until I get a yes. And that I have that goal of kind of hitting that thousand emails, that thousand no's. And so I was a real kind of hustler in the beginning of just pushing, 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 pushing wherever I could, developing my own skill set, not relying on other people, being able to kind of develop the story around my passion, the story I wanted behind it and focusing on that aspect. I also think that every company that does well has some foundational truth behind it in terms of the message they're putting out. It has to be authentic. And so, you know, the story with my father and me is, is very honest and, uh, and so it was my voice behind everything and, and my father behind everything. I think people connected to that aspect of authenticity and that it was genuine. Uh, and that's kind of what actually led that whole message led to the, you know, the, the call with William Shatner and him relating to that and him coming on board that first campaign uh, because he himself, you know, has kids, wanted to have this idea of legacy and tribute. And uh, so, again, it's that authenticity that, founded a, an honest relationship and we designed it together that first watch for him which was that that passages William Shatner campaign uh, and so yeah it was a combination of trying to make something unique that was different in the industry hustling and always going for those no's and just sending out emails calling you know William Shatner was my first yes people go well, how did you get William Shatner I got a thousand no's before I got the one yes from William Shatner I reached out to everyone and I still do that all the time uh, so people don't see that. They don't see the kind of, I had a friend, this is, sorry, this is off topic. I had a friend who said, every time someone says no to you or puts you down, take that like a brick and like you're building a house and that's your foundation. And you need those, those bricks to build a house. And then when you have a house at the end of the day, you're good. Uh, and so I've always looked at it like that. So th that's kind of the, the philosophy behind what led me to that first point. Cause it's very hard at first. You don't have money. You don't have, you know, to put into marketing or anything. So you got to find innovative ways to kind of reach out to people and and uh, and get your product out there. Yeah, I share a similar philosophy with you. I remember, you know, doing all the sales for the company initially and getting it started. And my philosophy was get to the no faster. You know, like I don't have time to sit with you on the call and are you in or are you out? You know, yep. and I think that, that certainly helps, especially for a lot of businesses in terms of, you know, getting getting the answers that they need or all the no's that they needed for the day. And the one person that believes in them or the multiple people that believe in you that day, you can build around that, right? Yeah, uh, I, this is this is totally separate, but I, I make a chart for myself. And on one side, I have kind of uh, fear or frustrations. On the other side, I have the things I'm passionate about. And on the fear side, I just, 
I broke it down to things that I have control over and things that I don't have control over. So if I take a fear, I take kind of this aspect of what I want to do with my brand and it's non-specific, often it becomes a fear. So I'm worried people won't like my watches. Well, that's something I can't control. I can't control if, if people don't like my watches. What I do have control over is getting feedback before I go into production. So that becomes more specific. And then you kind of drop the fear because what you do is now you make it something actionable. Now I can put, I can go on a forum, I can show my watch, I can get feedback, and then I can make a kind of educated decision on what I want to do with the design at that point, as opposed to staying in that kind of ambiguous fear-based section. And I think a lot of people waste a lot, a lot of time, especially in the early stages, in kind of these abstracts, which are really fear-based, which don't lead to anything actionable. Uh, and in the end of the day, the actionable stuff is what's going to build your company. Absolutely. So in terms of taking action, now that you're about to launch your fourth campaign, I'm really interested to hear kind of how you've engaged your community that you've built over the years. I mean, with thousands of backers supporting your campaigns over the years, how have you gone about in terms of engaging with your community and how have they potentially helped shape the company and the products that you're now launching? Uh, well, again, it comes down to, you know, going on and engaging with them with the early designs and getting them interested, seeing the feedback they have, taking their feedback seriously. You know, in the end of the day, you can't please everyone. So you're going to have a certain percentage of people. And this was a mistake I found early on. I started trying to accommodate everyone. And that just becomes impossible. You, you end up changing things so many times and bogging yourself down. So you kind of at some point do have to commit. But that early stage feedback from the, the, the customer base is very valuable helps you go into a kind of right direction with things, engaging them again with the story, the meaning behind the brand, and connecting that meaning to this watch. Uh, so again, branding through and through. And I, I always say I'm never selling a product. I'm always selling a feeling or I'm selling a moment or an idea. And so, you know, even with this watch, despite the kind of breakthrough we had with how we engrave it, and uh, we feel like this is our best quality piece so far, that's never my primary focus. My primary focus is always, well, we're still here to sell you something that is about tribute, that is about legacy, and defining important moments in your lives. And we've just gotten better as a company at making things that are different and unique. And this is our next step up. And you've always been a part of that journey as a customer. So now you can take the next step with us. So that's kind of the philosophy. And uh, I think as, as long as we never give up on our core values and our kind of... Uh, our story, then people will continue to, to stand behind the company. Yeah, so it was interesting doing my prep work before this interview of, you know, watching all four of your videos from the crowdfunding videos in terms of the first one that you launched to this one now. And, you know, I really appreciate the, the new one because it's very story based. And I, I really connected with a, a comment that you made in there that time co connects all of us, um, <laughs> you know, around the world, everybody is, is stuck to time. Uh, and that really spoke to me in terms of, you know, a defining moment of, you know, passing a watch down and the, the story of, you know, making a watch for your father uh, really, really resonated with me. So I'm interested to know what some of the prep work, video marketing, content, branding, et cetera, that you did for the first campaign and how that's evolved and changed with your brand now over the last eight years. So again, I, I, I never believed in, and this is going to sound weird, I never believed in overly polished videos that uh, are perfect. I kind of always felt that, it, you know, as a company, that's not who we are. We, we're in, uh, imperfect. We're human. We're not this massive also organization with billions of dollars. So we've always kind of gone for this uh, authentic kind of more organic feel in our videos. 
And that's also was that was important early on because I just didn't have the money to make a nice video. I didn't have the money to go make a big production. So I, I told I asked myself how can how can we relate to people and we can relate to people by being honest and being authentic and kind of making a video that just touches on that. Uh, and that hopefully that will be enough that people will see that and that will be enough. I just didn't have another option. Uh, you know, and so even with William Shatner, when he came on, I didn't have money. Like the whole way I pitched that whole thing was, was crazy. I, I just said, you know, this is what I can do. I can make the watch. I can make one watch. <laughs> I can't even fund the whole production, but I'm going to pre-sell that watch and I'm going to make it very, very successful. And it, you know, it's a, it's a hard pitch, but if, if you're really genuine about it, you again, you'll find someone who will back you up. And so the whole marketing approach followed that same philosophy in terms of, uh, what can we do with what we have and where can we spend our money where it's going to give the highest ROI uh, and get that message out the most. And so production was always done in a way that it was me and a friend or, you know, uh, calling in favors or whatever I could do to get that video done. And, and I wrote everything. I, you know, a lot of the time I even shoot stuff myself. And even today, the company's much more successful. I still follow that path of it's a little bit more polished now, our videos. I, I do have more money to put into them, but I still try and keep it as honest as possible and not make it a big thing because in the end of the day, it's the message that matters. It's not the production value. It's not the, you know, uh, the visual effects in it. it it's people are either going to relate to the story or they're not. So the videos that are, you, you know, you look at the William Shatner video, even to the George St. Pierre video, the George St. Pierre videos, you know, shot much cleaner and in, in, in a, in a studio or actually it was shot in his gym. Yeah. We shot the George St. Pierre video. We went to his gym and I said, Hey, can we use your gym? So again, yeah, always just trying finding ways to hustle and kind of make these, these down to earth videos that people will relate to. And that's always the one that you did back in January, you know, um, the response to the Gillette video, what is a man, you know, obviously got millions and millions of views. You want to dive in on that? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of uh, so, you know, I did that on my own and I decided to put my company behind it just because I felt like, okay, if a person releases this video, it's not going to have any value. But if a company is kind of responding, then it does. And the intention of that video was to highlight not just men, but the idea that we can highlight anyone in a positive way and that the way to affect positive change in the world is to show the best in people, not the worst in people. And that I felt like there's a downward trend in advertising, in media, in news to kind of divide people, segregate people. And uh, so the philosophy behind the video was, okay, you know, if a company as big as Gillette's going to come out and make a video like this, which is on the basis of lecturing or on the basis of kind of a, a negative philosophy from the start, you can be better well, I'll counter that and I'll show, well, these are the best and people who watch this will now be inspired to be better. And so it was just to change the narrative. And I hope more companies follow that path. But again, that was a video I did myself in my room. No one else. People who actually, you know, help help me with my company or, or are involved in the company were very much against me releasing it because they felt like it, maybe there'll be backlash. But I'm one of those people who from the start of the company said, you know, if you look at the, the philosophy of the company and the branding of the company, it's always been that kind of honest approach. And I have foundational beliefs and it's OK to insert foundational beliefs into what what I've built, which is my company. That's the most valuable thing to me. So I built this company. It's my voice. It's been my voice since the beginning. And if I feel like there has to be a shift in something and that it relates to my company or what my company can kind of affect, then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to put that out there. And a lot of people, again, connected to the truth behind it or my message behind it, which is a message that a lot of people believe in and, and, and 
feel already long before I made the message. It's not really about the fact that I put it out there. People have been feeling this way for a long time. And so it was just, this was just something that people could relate to and said, oh, I feel the same way, you know, and, and thanks for doing it. And, and that was it. And again, that's the same philosophy for the, for the videos where I'm trying to promote the brand, where it's, hey, this is the relationship between me and my father. These are the things I struggle with. I struggle with the idea that I am, you know, I am limited in this life, that I'm not going to live forever, you know, that, that we all kind of struggle with the idea of death, of the passing of time, of the idea that the people we love get older. And so we all look for something within that to give value and meaning to life. And if it's, a, it's, it's something as simple as looking at your wrist uh, and wearing your dad's watch who's no longer with you and seeing him and, me- and remembering him every time you look at it, then that's the most beautiful thing in the world. And so that's much more than a watch. That's much more than something that tells the time. That's a memory of the people you love. And so I've always said, if I'm going to put anything out there, that's what I'm going to put out. Not to uh, continue on the topic of death, but obviously coronavirus is a, is a major thing that's affecting retail and product development. Uh, are you guys seeing any issues with it in the development of your watches or any advice that you could uh, relate to any of the startup founders looking to get into product development specifically overseas? Uh, there, you know, we do make, so for this watch specifically for the upcoming campaign, the main watch, the two of the three are Swiss made. So they're using a STP 1-11, which is a Swiss made movement and, uh, a Ronda 515. So that stuff's not done in the Far East, but we do have the Seagull version, uh, which is the skeleton watch, which is done in, in Far East or, uh, Hong Kong and China. And we do have other watches where we have our own facility there where we work on modifying movements, where we do some casework, some dial work. And so that's all shut down right now. And it's tough. Uh, you know, a lot of the time. So, again, all I can do is be honest and let customers know, hey, you know, production is really messed up right now. It's bigger than us. People are sick. People are dying. The government has shut down our facility temporarily. And I can I can tell them I understand they're frustrated that they have to wait and it's very unfortunate uh, and just hope that they understand. But this, you know, the whole thing with the coronavirus, tons of industries are suffering and it's kind of a matter of fact situation. No company can do anything about the fact that the coronavirus is out there and that the government has literally closed down facilities. It's just, so if a customer is not going to understand it, you can empathize with the customer that, oh, okay, they, they have to wait an extra few weeks for their product. That's frustrating. In the end of the day, the best thing I can do, sorry, my, my computer's going nuts right now. My God. The best thing I can do is refund them if they're that unhappy. Uh, But it's not a situation with the coronavirus where, unfortunately, there's much give because it's so far out of anything we had control over and so far out that you would hope that customers have a certain degree of empathy that it's bigger than their product. You know, it's bigger than you getting your watch. They're sick people in the world and that this is a real problem and that, you know, my tolerance for this, maybe to be totally honest, is a little bit less than it should be because... It's not, hey, we screwed up production. Hey, you got to wait an extra few weeks because we screwed up. You know, in those cases, I really do empathize. I do try and, and do better for the customer and give them massive discounts, whatever I can do. But in a case where there's people who are sick and I tell someone, hey, you got to wait an extra two weeks or three weeks because there's people sick all over the world right now. And that's it's an it's an epidemic. And they respond negatively to that. I don't know what to tell a business owner in that situation, but you do have to be the bigger man and just say the best we can do is offer you a refund. But again, it's a worldwide kind of issue right now, and a lot of uh, businesses are suffering. And again, the best thing you can do is be transparent and honest. Most customers will empathize and will understand, the vast majority. The ones who don't, unfortunately, there's not much you can do in that situation. 
So in the years that you've been running Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns, what's one lesson that you've learned throughout the years of running these campaigns? Be honest about, communicate with the customers. Be honest about delays, be honest about production, uh, be honest about everything. Don't hold anything back. If, if it's going to take two months longer, let them know and tell them, hey, we're doing our best. And, and just be honest, because you are doing your best when you're, you're a small business owner. We're doing our best. You know, this is way more difficult than we thought. We had, a, you know, more sales than we anticipated. Or, you know, with the William Shatner one, we, we put the meteor dust. So I, I went and I bought a meteor from a geologist in uh, Alaska. And we started dusting it and putting it on the dial. And then the movement wouldn't run properly. And we realized that the, it, it was kind of an effect of the amount of iron in the meteor was affecting the magnetism of the movement and, and causing it to stutter. So I said, oh, how can we fix this? That delayed the delivery of the watch by something like six weeks or eight weeks. And I just told customers, I said, we're trying to do something we've never done before. We're trying to put meteor dust on a watch. I have to go buy a meteor. I have to, you know, dust it. These things take time. And, and we didn't anticipate this kind of, it's just not something we could have known in advance. And so we're really sorry. We're going to, you know, try and include something extra, you know, and we're going to reassess and find a way to get that meteor dust on there. Like we promised it might just be less. So we put them in these small vials and then we put them on the dial in like these kind of star, star placements. And it wasn't enough that it affected the movement. And everyone was happy at the end of the day. So I think as long as you're transparent and you're honest with your customer, uh, treat them with the same respect you would want them to treat you with, which is that if they have a problem, you'd want to know about it. You wouldn't want them going elsewhere and kind of just letting it sit and then writing negative reviews. You'd want them to come to you and tell you, hey, I'm not happy with this. The same way you as a, a business owner is, hey, we've got this problem. This is what we're dealing with. Or, hey, uh, we're really excited. Things are great. Just communicate. Customers are very, very happy when you communicate with them. Absolutely. Solid advice there, Elon. This is going to get us into our launch round where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Yep. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Uh, again, same idea. Uh, I never had the intention to be an entrepreneur. What inspired me was that kind of relationship with my father and seeing him and all the good he's done. So uh, just want to live up to that, that standard. So if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Well, I guess I'm, I really like Elon Musk. I don't know why. I think he's, he's a real innovator. So I just want to pick his brain. What would be your first question for Elon? Uh, I actually thought about this yesterday. I was having a, I was, I was like, uh, man, if I could meet Elon Musk, what would I tell him? I, I would want to know uh, why he, he uh, got into kind of trying to have this effect on the world, which is, you know, stepping away from in such a positive effect. Like what motivated Hey, we're going to, you know, look at electronic cars where, you know, the whole kind of all his motivation seemed to be to make the world better. I just would want to know what stimulated that. Why? Why is he going in that direction with everything, which is a good thing. I'm just curious what the motivation is behind it. Yeah. Um, for all the other startup founders out there, what book would you recommend they read? Ah, what's that book that talks about the why? That book is it, is it called the why? Is that there's talk a book with the why? Yeah. 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 Good book. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully I'm alive. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, I see myself, uh, hopefully my, my goal is to have my company uh, doing 10 times better than it is today. Literally that exact number. Just uh, grow 10 times. We have so many untapped markets. So uh, my, my five-year goal is to hit all those markets. We don't even sell on Amazon right now. So, yeah. Last question. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? Future of crowdfunding is going to be a lot more polarized i think you're going to have campaigns that are hyper successful and, and a lot more campaigns that don't do well just because uh 
I think it's going in that direction. I think it's going to be, you're either going to be a mega hit or you're going to, you know, do the thirty to $50,000 price point range. I base that on the fact that it's becoming more competitive and that customers are starting to respond to it differently. But I may be completely wrong, but I just see it going in that direction. Nice. Well, Alon, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should check you out. Uh, well, you can go to Eggard, E-G-A-R-D, watches.com, and you should check us out because, like I said, if you're looking for something that you can pass down to someone or give as a gift, I think we're among the best at it, and uh, you know that's what we're founded on. And we've got incredibly unique designs that are are uh, pushing the limits of what's possible on a watch. So um, check them out. Awesome. Audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcripts, links to the campaign once it goes live, and everything else we talked about today. And, of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Ilan, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.